Today's gospel comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Can I just say thank you, choir? That was beautiful. Never once have we ever walked alone. What incredible truth. Welcome to worship again here at Pittman Park. My name is Jonathan, and I'm excited for this morning because we're kicking off a three-week sermon series where we're going to be looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. They all have to do with the kingdom of God as they help us understand a little bit more clearly what God's kingdom is like and how we can participate in it. One of the interesting things about the Christian year and the liturgical calendar and the lectionary cycle is that just before uh, the new year, the new new year that begins with Advent, um, the gospel readings always turn a little apocalyptic. They always point toward the kingdom of God and God's coming reign. So this morning as we begin this series that's going to deal with the kingdom of God, I want to tell you that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about two things. Everybody show me two. Make sure you're awake this morning. Okay, two, right? Two things. The first thing, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, uh, he's talking about the rule and reign of God, this reality in which sin and death is finally defeated and all things are made whole in Christ, including you and me. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's talking about this future reality that is coming to be as God's throne is established in heaven for all eternity. But then Jesus is also talking about, when he speaks of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's also talking about our own personal salvation. Because the kingdom of God isn't just about establishing God's rule and reign for all eternity, but it's also about restoring you and I through the saving work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So it's also a present reality. The kingdom of God is coming and it's already here. As we say yes to Jesus' offer of salvation and eternal life, we experience the kingdom of God in the present. As we carry and carry the gospel out into the world and serve others, we make the kingdom of God real wherever it is we go. So the kingdom is not only this future reality of Christ's rule and reign over all of the universe, It's also God's very present reign in our hearts and in our lives. So the kingdom is both universal and personal. That's a lot already in the sermon, right? Amen, let's go home. I'm just kidding. I mean, the the passage was short. The sermon is not. Um, (laughs) 
Growing up, uh, we used to watch this show. Um, it, it came on a couple times during the week uh, on weeknights. It was called Rescue 911. Do you remember Rescue 911? Um, maybe 10 years ago, you could turn on TLC or the Discovery Channel in the middle of the day, and it was just one episode of, after another of Rescue 911. And it was hosted by uh, the legendary William Shatner, right? So Captain Kirk is there, and he's hosting um, these, uh, these scenarios these phone calls, these reenactments of 911 phone calls. And you could never be sure what was going to happen on the show. Maybe a, a baby was going to be born suddenly without any warning, or, or there would be um, a, a heart emergency and they'd have to rush someone to the hospital, or, or maybe there would be a fire. The fires were the, always the ones that caught my attention, right? Because anytime there was a fire on the show, they had to do the obligatory firefighter montage. You know what I'm talking about, right? The alarm goes off and, and the firefighters jump out of bed and they've got their, their boots and, and their, their gear there on the floor. So they're jumping in, they're pulling that on and then that, it skips to them sliding down fire poles and then jumping into their trucks and rescue vehicles. Anytime there was a fire, they had to show the montage. Then the firefighters would arrive on the scene and a couple of them run up on top of the house to cut a hole in the roof. A couple uh, begin pulling people out from inside of the fire and a couple start um, connecting hoses and spraying water on the house. And so after you've watched a few seasons of the show, it ran from 89 to 96, by the way. <laughs> we were in to rescue 911, all right? So just... <laughs> After you've seen a few seasons of the show, you start to wonder, if there was a fire or an emergency, what's the first thing you would grab to take out of the house? What has so much value that you wouldn't leave it behind even if your house was on fire? Now, we never had a fire, but we did have the occasional hurricane threat growing up. And my parents would always talk about what the most important things to carry with us as we evacuated were. We had lots of stuff in the house because in most houses you have lots of stuff, right? My parents didn't send us with the china, right? My parents didn't send us, you know, with the, the VCR or the DVD player at that time. They sent us out of town when the hurricane came near with two large boxes full of pictures. You guys remember when pictures weren't on your phone? Yeah, we had these two great big Tupperware boxes because everything else in the house you could replace, right? But you can't get back those pictures. They're priceless. They're our memories. So we wanted to hold on to those above everything else. What would you hold on to? What would you rescue from the fire? What would you hold on to? if you're gonna lose everything else. Because here's the truth, the value you place on something is shown by what you'll give up for it. The value you place on something is shown by what you'll give up for it. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he used terms like these. He taught that finding the kingdom was like finding something of such incredible worth, such incredible value that you would gladly leave everything behind to get it. In fact, as you heard earlier, in these two shortest parables in the Bible, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. 
When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These two very similar stories are making one distinct point. The treasure that these two men had found was worth leaving everything else behind. The treasure they found was worth leaving everything else behind. In the first story, a man stumbles onto a treasure randomly. We don't know why this man is in a field. We don't know exactly what he's doing. Had he, had he been hired to plow the field or prep the field for planting? Or maybe he was just on a shortcut home and he saw a hole and thought, I'll stick my hand in there. That's not a great way to live, y'all. Or maybe he was just digging a hole and he stumbles upon this priceless treasure. He stumbles upon this great hoard of wealth. By the way, who of us hasn't dreamed of having something like this happen to us? I used to think that guys with metal detectors were a little nerdy and I I still think that, but Recently, I read about a man named Terry Herbert, who's a guy in Great Britain who using a, um, a, a two and a half pound, not weight, but cost uh, metal detector that he bought at a garage sale, um, found $5 million worth of gold and silver artifacts dating back to the seventh century in his neighbor's backyard. Unfortunately for him, he did not buy his neighbor's yard. <laughs> and he's been feuding with his neighbor ever since. But there were more than 1,500 gold objects in what they call the Staffordshire Hoard. And now after watching National Treasure and the Curse of Oak Island, have you ever gotten hooked up with the Curse of Oak Island? It's about treasure hunting. Don't ever start. <laughs> also, uh, the Outer Banks, uh, you know, again, treasure hunting. I, I go looking for loose bricks around churches these days, you know. I, I look for coded messages and stained glass windows and uh, early American documents. <laughs> But in Jesus' day, finding a treasure like that was not all that uncommon. It was uncommon, but it wasn't all that uncommon. You see, people back then, they didn't have banks like we do. If we have a, a pile of treasure, we go and, and put it in a safe deposit box, right? We, we pay for a place to store that treasure. If we have extra money, we put it into the bank, But in the ancient world, if you had a a huge pile of money and you wanted to keep it safe, you would bury it. You'd use the old coffee can or mayo jar financial plan, right? Like finance sponsored by Dukes. You would put the money in the jar, tighten it down, put it in the ground. You'd hide the money. And up until very recently, this was common practice. Even during the Civil War, if your town was being attacked, what did you do with your treasure? Dug a hole, put it in there, covered it up. Hope to come back one day and find it. There's more than one story about lost treasure in the South because people knew they were being attacked and they dug a hole and hid their treasures away. So up until recently, up until the Civil War, you would bury your treasure, your gold, your cash, quickly so that the attacking army couldn't confiscate it. But then a lot of times people who had dug the hole and hid the treasure either forgot where they hid the treasure because they did it at night or they died. And so the treasure was lost. So this isn't a far-fetched scenario that Jesus is talking about here. In fact, in ancient Israel, uh, you know this, that in the area of Qumran, there was a map found uh, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were listing 64 places that people in the community had buried treasure from invading armies. 
The treasure scroll, in fact, and, and other important scrolls themselves were hidden in caves to protect them from the Roman Empire. So the point is, many people in Jesus' day live with the excitement of finding old buried treasure. So when Jesus tells this story, this parable, people start listening. They all kind of lean in to listen. The man in the parable finds a great treasure buried out in a field, and then he reburies it and doesn't tell anyone about it. And as soon as he's done burying this treasure that he has discovered in this field, he goes to the landowner and begins to negotiate a price for the land. And it must have been a lot because the man is willing to sell everything he has, everything he has to get that piece of land because that piece of land contains the treasure. The scriptures don't say that this man begrudgingly sells all that he owns. It doesn't say that, that he... Uh, he frustratingly sold everything he owns. No, the parable says that this man, in his joy, in his joy, he went and sold everything that he had to buy the field. Now, normally, if, if you had to walk away from everything you owned, you would be devastated. I would be devastated. But this man is elated. He's filled with joy because the treasure that he is gaining is far more valuable than anything that he's walking away from. It's far more valuable than anything he currently possesses. It has greater value and is better than anything he owns, anything that he's leaving behind. This, Jesus says, is like finding the kingdom of God. The second parable makes the same point with a few small distinctions. This time, the one who finds the treasure the pearl of great price, as it were, is not a blue-collar worker. He's not out digging holes. But he's a wealthy merchant. And unlike the first guy, this guy doesn't discover the treasure accidentally. This man, this merchant, has made a lifetime, spent a lifetime hunting treasure. He's a merchant. And I'm sure he's been around the world searching for that right piece. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's looking for. Pearls, by the way, were the most valuable jewel, one of the most valuable jewels in the ancient world, mainly because they were so hard to get. You know, they didn't have all the diving gear and stuff we have today, so they're hard to come by in the ancient world. So only the wealthiest of the wealthy possessed pearls. Cleopatra, in fact, was renowned for her, the pearls that she possessed. In fact, uh, in just two pearls, which she wore on occasion as earrings, she had more than $28.5 million dollars worth of worth in just two pearls. This man, this merchant, had made a living buying and selling pearls and gems, but this one is of such incredible beauty that he sells not only the other pearls and gemstones that he has, but he, sends, he sells his business, he sells his land, he sells his boats, he sells everything that he owns so that he might possess it for himself. Two men, one blue collar, one white collar, one who seems to have relatively little and the other who has quite a lot. One who wasn't looking for treasure but stumbled upon it. One who seemed obsessed with it and finally found it. One poor and common, one rich and educated, but both of them find something of such great value that it makes everything else in their lives look worthless by comparison. Again, when Jesus talked about finding the kingdom, he talked that finding it 
Finding it is like finding something of such incredible value that you would leave everything behind you, that you would gladly leave everything behind you. Paul expresses this very same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He says, whatever I had, whatever gain I had, whatever I've accumulated, whatever I've gained in this life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I now count them as rubbish, as trash, in order that I may gain Christ. In order that I may gain Christ. In both these parables, both men sell everything they have so that they can take hold of the treasure. Paul says, I would gladly, I would gladly let go of everything I own to take hold of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus and Paul are talking about the same thing. So what is it that keeps us when we have that moment where we discover the kingdom, where we discover the beauty of a relationship with God, when we discover the beauty of God's rule and reign, not only in the cosmos, but in our hearts and life, what is it that keeps us from taking that next step of gladly letting it all go so that we can come into relationship with him? Matthew addresses this a little bit later on in his gospel. In Matthew 19, 16 to 22, Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew recounts this story of an interaction with Jesus. He says, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what thing must I do to, to possess eternity with you, God? Jesus tells the man, you need to keep the Ten Commandments. And you need to love your, love your neighbor as yourself. To which this young man, this rich young ruler says, I've done all that. I've done all that. I have lived according to the commandments of God. I love my neighbor as, I, as myself. What else must I do? Then Jesus answered, this is verse 21 of Matthew chapter 19. He says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. You'll inherit the kingdom of God. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Another translation of this verse says that he went away sad because he had many things, many possessions. Perhaps another way to say it is that he was possessed by many things. Many things had a grip on his heart. Many things had a grip on his life. Friends, I pray that you can do what this rich young man could not do. I pray that you, like the two men in the parable that Jesus tells, when you come across the kingdom of God, this treasure which is greater and better than anything else you could ever imagine, eternal life with God in all eternity, for all eternity, is greater and better than anything else you could ever know. I pray that you can leave everything behind, that you can sell it all to take hold of salvation and eternal life in Jesus Christ. I pray that you can joyfully sell it all, because of what you found in God and because you realize that it's worth more 
than you've ever had. And some of you may be thinking, well, I don't have much. I don't possess many things. I'm not rich, so there's not much for me to give away or get rid of. That may be true. That may not be what has possessed you. It may be an addiction. It may be an habitual sin. It may be a mindset that you've been living in for days, weeks, months, or years. It might be an idol that you've set up in your heart that's caused you to hold back from selling everything you have to follow after Jesus. Friends, may we be like the man in the field and like the merchant instead of like the rich young ruler. May we give it all away so that we can take hold of life that truly is life. So that we can attain for ourselves salvation that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. May we become participants in God's kingdom. Because when we found that great treasure, we were able to leave everything else behind and follow after Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, there are so many things in our lives that call out to us, that seek to possess us. We pray today, God, that knowing that the great treasure is you, that we would let go of all of those things that have kept such a firm grip on who we are. We pray that we would be freed, God, to follow after you with joy and with peace, knowing that whatever we face in this life has already been conquered by you, that the sin and brokenness that we live in day by day has already been forgiven, and that you have already opened up the gates of eternity that we might walk in with you. Lord, help us to not hold back. Help us to sell it all so that we might surrender fully to your grace in our lives. Remind us, God, that this isn't something that we do once, Lord. It's not a decision we make one time, one time but it's a daily decision, Lord, to surrender our lives to you that we might become less that you might become more. That our lives might be more and more conformed to your image and to your likeness. That we, God, might truly find abundant life. Not in this life, but in life with you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.